I don't need help. I'm not in an abusive relationship. This is just how it is for us. It's a lie we tell ourselves, one that many in abusive relationships repeat until they believe it. But there's hope. Welcome to I'm Not In An Abusive Relationship, a podcast about surviving domestic and sexual violence. This show is about hope. You will hear from survivors of abuse, and their stories may sound familiar. They may even inspire hope. Our goal is to connect with others in these toxic relationships to offer that hope, and with supporters of our mission, anyone willing to help get rid of abuse in our culture. We also talk with the experts in the field, from the officers on the front lines of domestic abuse calls to the therapists and advocates helping survivors navigate this complicated road of recovery. If you're in need of help, please visit our website or call our 24-7 hotline, 800-828-2023. And if this is an emergency and you need help immediately, please call 911. Welcome back to I'm Not In an Abusive Relationship. I'm Dan, your host. And we're going to continue our special series here on uh, the month that we are in raising awareness on the slavery and human trafficking prevention month. And this particular episode, we're going local. So I am talking with Sarah and Sarah is the, the founder and chair of the Kalamazoo area anti-human trafficking coalition, Sarah Morley LaCroix. Sarah, welcome to the show. Thank you, Dan, for having me. It's a sincere pleasure and honor. Absolutely. And it, I feel the same way. The work you're doing on, on anti-human trafficking uh, is, is something that we need, obviously, globally, um, but we think globally and act locally, right? Correct. So that's, that's what we're looking at. So, <laughs> yes. so let's start at the beginning. You know, we, we, we talk about human trafficking and my mind goes to the, the sex trade and slavery, which is slavery and human trafficking. How do you define human trafficking in, as part of your mission? Uh, anytime we are forcing, frauding, or coercing someone, um, an adult, to do something that they wouldn't normally do for the benefit or profit of the person forcing, frauding, or coercing them. Um, if you're a minor and you are talking sex trafficking, um, it's just considered child sexual exploitation or child rape. Um, you do not need to show force, fraud, or coercion. Okay. So it is connected, but not like... Like my mind first goes to some guy in a van grabbing a girl off the street and that's human trafficking, like a child off the street. It's connected, but it's different is what I hear you say. Very different. Yes. That's only probably about 3% of trafficking happens that way. Um, Trafficking, when you think, uh, especially of children, they're vulnerable, right? They're trusting. We're told to um, believe adults and to be respectful of your elders and to listen and do as you're told. And um, then when an elder is mistreating you or abusing you and you're so young, you may not know the difference. Or even if you do mention it to an adult you trust, no, they wouldn't do that. Uncle Johnny's so nice, that just never would happen. And so I think it sets up um, a whole uh, sequence of events that happen for children when it does happen that way of who can you trust, who do you trust, who do you tell, and when you do, you're told that isn't what's happening, you must be mistaken, and that person would never do that. Yeah. So, Sarah, what what drew you to this work with the Kalamazoo Area Anti-Human Trafficking Coalition? That's a very loaded question, because (laughs) what I started off with doing and what has really evolved to 
um, I guess, self, um, oh boy, what do you want to call it? Self-identifying unaddressed trauma as a youth, I think has really come round about. And it's not something I ever would have said eight years ago when starting um, the organization, the coalition. So I belong to the Junior League of Kalamazoo. And we are one of nine junior leagues in the state of Michigan, and it's Women Building Better Communities Through Volunteerism. And there's a specific uh, committee that you can volunteer and sit on called the State Public Affairs Committee. And we meet monthly in Lansing to discuss uh, issues that affect women and children. So I started working on this committee back in about 2008. And in 2009, the issue of human trafficking came up. So yes, of course, we instantly go to they're buying and selling children for sex. Being a mother of four, I was just like, what? I mean, people are buying and selling children. I just, I never made the correlation that this truly was happening. I just, my mind was blown. My, um, I've been working, um, my husband was in the United States Navy. We had traveled around the country raising our four children and to come to Kalamazoo and back to Michigan originally from Saginaw to find out people are buying and selling children. I was just appalled. And I always say it became a little green monster that sat on my shoulder. Um, this wasn't gonna go away. This wasn't gonna happen on my watch, not while I'm standing here. And I just started to research and learn and talk to more and more people and still kept hearing, no, that's not happening here. You know, no, no, no. Until um, I started hearing from parents um, and, and their stories about their children and, and in particular what the internet had brought into their world. And um, just the more and more stories and even, um, it was just unbelievable. So as I researched it and I attended a conference in Grand Rapids that Andy Soper and the Manassa Project put on and Leslie King was there speaking. Um, and Leslie King's amazing from Sacred Beginnings in Grand Rapids and she is a self-proclaimed survivor and boy is she just a powerhouse. But as I listened to her story, I stood up and I said, what can I do? Um, people don't believe me that this is happening. And she pointed right at me. She said, you go home and you start something. And so I believed in her. I believed in, in what had happened to her. And I took that to heart. Like I could get verklempt. <laughs> I mean, it just, yeah. it was like, okay, I have to go home and start something. And so I was a realtor by trade. Um, and then with the junior league and, you know, raising four children, I just used all my resources that I could to uh, send out emails and phone calls to anybody and everybody who would um, come talk about and discuss human trafficking. And we had our first meeting in our, in our Jakeway Realtors office on Drake Road. Um, they're so nice to let us use their space. And I had seven people show up. And of course, one of the seven was my husband and <laughs> myself, but I had a survivor show up, Terry, and I had our sheriff, Rick Fuller, show up. Mm. And I literally had tears streaming down my face because it just told me I was doing the right thing. I still again, sorry, can get the content. I just, um, it told me I was doing the right thing when a survivor shows up and law enforcement was there to be, yeah, this is an issue and we need to do something. It just, it, um, 
vilified what I was doing. It, it told me I was doing the right thing. You got me too. So don't be sorry. <laughs> As you, I mean, when you said, when you said Sheriff Fuller's name, like, uh, wow, that to just have this initial meeting of, Hey, we should talk about this. And the sheriff shows up like, yep. Wow. And, and a survivor, like how much weight is in that? And are those folks all part of this still? Um, our survivor, Terry, is sits on our board now. Wow. And I am so happy. We have three survivors that sit on our board. Wow. And um, so I feel like we've come roundabout because now this way I'm able to mentor them. Um, this also builds their resume. It helps give their voice at the table. Um, just so many good things come out of it. And um, Sheriff Fuller, we um, I haven't seen in a while and I did not know him when he came. Um, and, and I do now, um, but um, we have been able to kick off um, with a representative from the sheriff's office, a Kalamazoo County Human Trafficking Task Force, which we are running through Judge Curtis Bell, who he okay. has been a tremendous support and tremendous cheerleader to give the task force uh, credentials in Kalamazoo. I've heard good things about Judge Bell in many yes. different areas. So yes. that's amazing. Yes. And so, so coalition, I want to think about that for a minute. You, you, as you're talking about these different people that come together, you know, a coalition, as I understand it, is a group formed by two or more people. The definition in, in, the, in the dictionary says temporary. Was there a reason behind coalition? Are you looking for other groups to be a part of it? Are you looking for other, like, like instead of being called a group or just the, you know, the, the team or so, like, is, is there meaning behind coalition in particular? Um, my understanding of a coalition was um, community, people okay. of the community from everywhere. And I will tell you who shows up at our table is community. Nice. Um, we have the sisters of St. Joseph. We have, um, oh, now I'm going to brain fart and not remember who else shows up, but um, we have survivors. We have people from the YWCA. We have um, lots of faith-based groups that come and just people who are like, I heard about this and I want to be there. Um, Pre-pandemic, we would have about 20 people at our monthly meetings. Um, we haven't had a meeting in the past couple months, just trying to let some stuff settle and let people kind of get attuned to their lives. Um, but I would have liked a task force, um, like what I'm talking about, um, but that seemed a little bit harder from, I don't carry those credentials per se, because I'm a community member. Um, I'm not in law enforcement. I'm not in law. I'm not um, in the field, so to speak, a social worker. And so I just felt like the way to get, I guess, was more grassroots to do community members, be able to educate other community members with no political um, ground to stand on. We're just people who are concerned about what's happening to our youth and the members of our community. And particularly, you know, we have a lot of labor trafficking with all of the agricultural work that goes on around in our area. And so I feel that's why we went with coalition um, because it was more of a community member organization. Yeah, that's yeah. coalition equals community. I like that. Um, now you mentioned just now labor abuse, basically. Yes. Like, again, we keep talking about trafficking. My mind automatically goes to like sex trafficking. It's so much more than that. That is extremely heartbreaking, but it's more than that human trafficking. So talk to me a little bit about that labor trafficking, if you would, what, what are we seeing in Southwest Michigan as far as that goes? 
Well, I mentioned the agricultural industry. We, you know, Michigan apples, potatoes, blueberries, peaches. I mean, think of all of that and all of our um, farm fields of Michigan sweet corn. And um, we are built on migrant workers. I mean, out there sowing our fields, reaping our fields, and we need to make sure that they're protected and they don't all come from Michigan, the workers that are there. A lot of them are contracted in. And so there's been several cases. Um, there was a dairy farm in Allegan. Um, up in Traverse City, there's another case. Over in the Thumb region, there was a potato farmer. Um, and I know um, through working with Jessica Glenn at the YWCA, who she is an attorney for trafficking survivors, people who've experienced trafficking, said that that's who they see a lot of, are labor trafficking, um, say, victims. Um, but, you know, they talk about high blood pressure. They may not have the correct um, eye protection, ear protection, even gloves um, when they're out working in the fields. So um, those are, I, I can't really give specific specifics, but um, just through reading articles and doing research, labor trafficking is, is very big. And, and like migrant workers, those who, who migrate and work is, is one thing and that's legal and it's it's part of what we do and that's fine. But it sounds like we're also talking about when they're contracted, you might have somebody and correct me if I'm wrong here, but you might have a, a, a somebody, an organization or whatever, somewhere else, maybe out of, you know, somewhere in a different state that has trafficked, has gone to another place in the country or outside of the country, brought people here, coerced them, and then is paying them almost nothing, but they're getting paid. So the farmers here in Michigan may not realize it, but they're a part of that trafficking world. That's correct. I actually did um, a presentation down um, in Sturgis, I want to say, was at a pregnancy um, center. And one of the women there who was on the board there, she was a dairy farmer. And she spoke about how a man came up to their home, their farm, and he had a van and he had a van full of people. And he said, I have workers. And they were like, okay, you know, we need help. And they presented social security numbers, but know that once they put them in, they can still work for three months without having to prove or not having a valid social security number. So who knows where they're staying, you know, what their conditions are. Do they have, you know, beds running water? Um, there was a big case up in Grand Traverse County at the Grand Traverse Conference Center where um, they couldn't find workers to do their um, greens and golf and landscaping, the maintenance, and they contracted with a place out of Miami, Florida, and they brought up a busload of workers and said, you pay us and we'll pay them. We'll take care of their room and board. And um, they were making pennies on the dollar. And again, they could work for three months without showing a valid social security number. So there's plenty of opportunity um, to be taken advantage of. And if they don't know our language, they don't know our laws and they don't know their workers' rights, um, it's going to happen and it is happening. So community members, business owners, executives, farmers, we all need to be aware of this and know that it's happening. Um, how else can we make sure that we're not taking part in that? What should we be doing? <laughs> well, it's hard when we have big companies like Nestle and Hershey and even um, tomatoes down, there's a huge documentary on tomatoes down in Florida, the strawberry farmers, pickers, um, 
So there have been a lot of efforts to boycott Nestle and Hershey, especially around um, Halloween time when we're all buying candy. You know, um, I think, um, and I'm not, of course, I'm not going to remember the website, but there is a, a tracker update or a footprint update that you can go online and put in how many slaves made my sweater. Um, how many slaves, you know, made, you know, grew my tomatoes. And it will show you exactly where your stuff comes from. I mean, think of, I belong, I write, uh, sit on a board called the Responsible Jewelry um, Owners Conference, Responsible Jewelers Conference, sorry, um, in, out of Chicago, Illinois. And my friend Susan started it, but it's all about where is your gold come from? Who's mining your gold? How ethically is your gold mined? Think about pearls. Are we sending children down into the ocean to get pearls out of the oysters, you know, with just tubes of water, you know, tubes of air and um, no safety at all. Um, the chemicals that they use, they use mercury to mine gold. I never knew that. So where are your gems and your jewelry coming from? So how do we do better? I think you need to educate yourself and actually open up your mind. I mean, it's like when you drink a bottle of plastic, a bottle of water from a plastic bottle, um, do you recycle it? Do you refill it? Or are you just throwing it away? It has to be the subconscious or the conscious, I guess, that makes that decision of what you want to know and how far you're going to go with what you know once you gain the knowledge. Yeah. Responsible consumerism, um, ethical consumerism, being aware. Um, and then just holding those business owners accountable is what I hear you yes. say. Yeah. Well, and a lot of times too, I mean, right now um, I sit on a, a number of boards, but even looking at where you're investing for your financial portfolio, sure. what companies are you investing? I mean, you really can go and dig and dive very deep into this for your ethics on are we supporting companies that do support slave labor? Is this how they're making their money? You know, do we want to be a part of that? Yeah. So gosh, national, <laughs> national slavery and human trafficking prevention month covers so much, um, you know, fa familial abuse and trafficking, I understand can happen. And then there's the slave labor, there's sex slave and sex trafficking for adults. There's child sexual abuse, which can be masked as trafficking or you, what I, like, there's just so much. Is there, is there a way that the Kalamazoo area anti-human tracking, human tracking coalition um, focuses on certain kinds, different times? Like how do you even get through all of this? <laughs> one day at a time, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? We fight human trafficking one day at a time. Hmm. Um, our, our goal was never to be a, a service provider. Um, our goal was to be a community collaborator. And I think we've done very well with that in regards to um, when we started the YWCA did not have a human trafficking shelter or human trafficking program. And in the past, I wanna I want say five years, but it might be four years, they have been able to establish uh, a human trafficking shelter home for men, women, non-gender identifying, sex or labor trafficking people wow. and um, free, you know, I mean, um, the sad part is, is it's paid for through grants that you have to write. And when you are writing a grant for human trafficking, you're probably taking money away from domestic assault or domestic abuse or sexual assault. 
However, what they've been able to do is um, give more people services from opening that and start to look back at other cases too that human trafficking would have um, presented itself, but probably wasn't being recognized as something that needed to be addressed or, or served. Um, I don't know about you, but growing up, um, when you would see, and I'm going to do the whole, you know, fingers quotation thing, when you see a prostitute, I, I feel like I was always, oh, they choose that life. Yeah. You know, yeah. oh, you know, that's, that's kind of just this normal, that's what they want to do. And um, it's totally, you know, a 180 from that. No one chooses to do that. No one chooses to be raped up to 10 times a day by a complete stranger. No one chooses to go out and from morning to night and work. Maybe they have an infected tooth and they can't take a bathroom break or they're not given a meal. These are not human things that people choose to do. And I think, um, so for us, it's been about raising awareness about what human trafficking is in all areas, about advocating for victim-centered legislation, which we have helped um, pass bills and get them signed into law, and to um, connect survivors with the proper um, services that they may need and to train those who are most likely to come in contact with someone who's experiencing trafficking. Mm -hmm. When someone is not choosing it, they've been coerced, groomed, what kind of resources are available to make sure that we're, let's say as parents talking to our kids about not being groomed, like how, what, what do you find out there in the world that helps with these discussions in a family? (laughs) Very little. Yeah. Um, The sad truth is, I think very little. I will say um, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children has excellent references on their website um, for how to talk to children about this. Um, But I get a lot of phone calls from parents um, who are like, my child disappears on Thursday and they don't come home till Monday afternoon and I have no idea where they are. How can you help me? And... um, I can't, you know, we try to get law enforcement involved. I mean, I think back to a parent who called me who had um, a minor child who was being coerced from Florida by a 40 some year old man to create child pornography. And I guess I don't understand how, but it happens that a child is going to be coerced into doing these things um, online with a computer in your home or your bedroom. I don't, I don't know. Our kids were never allowed a computer in their room. We had one computer. Um, but when they went to law enforcement, they were told it was their child who would be prosecuted and charged, ch- charged with making child pornography because she was the one making it. He wasn't making, I mean, he wasn't doing it. Um, and then they came to the house and this is in Um, Portage, Michigan, they came to the house to take their other two younger children away from them because their 15-year-old was a threat to the two younger children in the house. So those parents, in essence, then had to make the decision to put her into a hotel or, you know, short-term living to remove her from the home in order to keep the two younger children home with them. So we still have, and that was when I started this, um, what would I say? This is started in 2012. Um, I heard this story. I mean, that's eight years ago, nine years. It'll be now in February. 
And this family still has not come out public with their story. Um, but the road that they traveled is very, very roller coaster, very hard, very narrow. And there's not a lot of resources out there for parents to help um, if their child's being groomed by a family member, which also can set them up to be groomed by what we call a, oh, a Romeo um, trafficker um, who woos them as opposed to a gorilla trafficker who is someone who is kind of rough and grumble and, you know, may um, be threatening and very, it may rape them and then holds that over them. Um, a Romeo is someone who um, wines and dines them, so to speak, gets them something that their parents won't give them. Um, but I do fear that our resources for parents, I think that they are a, um, oh, whatever, an innocent bystander, but there's someone who there are no resources for really to help. And when it comes to teens, we are just now starting to scratch that surface. Um, where, do, where do they go? We've always treated them as delinquents. Again, we call them minor prostitutes. You're not a minor a prostitute. You are a prostituted minor. If you yeah. cannot consent, you cannot be. Yeah. Yeah, this... <laughs> it's just kind of a side note, but like when your news reports and, you know, had sex with an underage, like, no, that's child rape. Yep. That, that is nothing. That is not just a, a fling anyway. Um, what, what can we do locally? Anybody, anyone, and I mean, I guess anybody listening anywhere in the world, what can we do in, in our communities to begin to help change this one day at a time along with you? Um, I always encourage people to do foster care. I think, um, and it's amazing to get, I could get beclumped. It's amazing how many people um, and friends I have that um, have become foster parents. I mean, I have uh, just being a mentor, a positive role model, a loving individual, a caring individual, someone that they can trust um, to help navigate this crazy world. I mean, it's always been crazy. It seems a little bit crazier right now, but um, our youth are hurting. And um, I hate to say it's cyclical, but um, it, it's so hard. So what can we do? First of all, I pray a lot um, for anyone who's faith-based. And if you're not, you know, send positive vibes. Um, I pray too for the traffickers you know, oddly enough, and, and the pimps and the perpetrators and the people buying sex. Like, I just don't understand um, men who are married or have children of their own out having um, sex with other children and with someone else. It, it just, it's mind boggling to me, but Hollywood really wants to sell us the sack of goods that this is what we're all supposed to do. Um, so pray a lot, send positive vibes, um, mentor, even if it's, it's big brothers, big sisters, um, volunteer at the YWCA um, with our sexual assault nurse examiners, with um, people who've experienced being trafficked. Um, just, I think, to be more aware, be the eyes and ears of your community and stop turning the other cheek. You know, um, be aware if, if you have a house next to you and you see people coming and going, um, if you're hearing things that just don't sound right, um, seeing things that you're just like, that just doesn't feel right. I guess listen to that gut instinct 
and mm -hmm. and again foster i just i can't say it enough maybe go volunteer in classrooms once we can get back to school but um i think we need to there's a lot of good people out there and i i think we need to show more good than we do the bad yeah when you say foster what what why why foster what's the reason behind that oh boy there's so many children um in need where you know the drug addiction is so high right now um the opioids um, everything that's going on. And if you can just help um, someone who maybe hasn't made the best decisions in their life, take a time out, just have a break. Um, the intent of foster care has always been for family reunification. And, you know, even when you're young, you make mistakes and it's forgiven. And you can be old and make mistakes and you should still be forgiven. Um, so if, if someone needs help, um, and they need someone to care for their child for a while. It helps not only the child, but it helps the family member too that just, just needs a break and to help carry and lift that burden from their shoulders. Um, foster care has just been amazing. Um, I have quite a few friends who they've actually ended up adopting um, the children that they have fostered. Um, I have a friend right now who she has one natural born child and they adopted a, a, and they fostered a young boy and he, um, they adopted him. So they had two boys. Well, right before Christmas, they got two more kids to foster. And then they found out that those two kids had two more siblings and they weren't together. So here were four children, um, siblings that weren't together. And my friend went and got the other two siblings. So she's now up to six children in a matter of a few months. So um, I just think it's sharing our blessings and sharing our love and children are so innocent and so um, clean and vibrant in their willingness to want to learn and be loved. That's why I recommend fostering because um, the youth are going to be where we are tomorrow. And um, we want to hand it off to, you know, great people, you know, people who are compassionate and empathetic and, who share their passions for making the world better. And, and, and is there also a side to fostering that we need more good people doing it because there's a seedy side to it, right? You know, is that part of the problem or no? Yes. Um, there's a lot of things said that fostering is kind of the highway or the lifeline to being trafficked. Um, I personally have not met someone in foster care who has had that experience um, a lot of the people I meet who have been in foster care have been like CETA scholars from Western Michigan University. Um, and a lot of those survivors too, I meet of trafficking. I mean, a couple of them just got their masters this past spring and I can't even do that, not being trafficked. So I'm just like totally blown away by what they've overcome and their perseverance to set a goal and do it. So um, there has been a lot of talk about foster care being seedy and bad. Um, we have had a few cases of mission. I know that was just a huge foster care reform um, due to one specific case. And um, I have to say the people I know that are fostering are really good, honest, hardworking people. And I would trust my own children with them, the ones that yeah. I know. And we just need more of those. We do need more of those. Yep. We do. Uh, 
Sarah, is there anything that we didn't cover in our conversation so far that you want listeners to walk away with when it comes to uh, human trafficking and slavery and what we can do? I just want people to know this was never um, my soapbox. It was never my thing to run a nonprofit. It was never my thing to be a, a public advocate, to go to Lansing and advocate for victim-centered legislation, or even D.C. for that matter. I've done it there as well. Um, but I think if you find something that bothers you or you don't like, you're passionate about, um, listen to that yearning and stand up and, and make a difference. And yeah. you'll be surprised at how many other people um, come on board with you and how many people support you and actually feel the same way, but they've just been a little bit hesitant to step that first foot forward. Yeah. Great advice. Great encouragement. Sarah Morley LaCroix, the founder and chair of the Kalamazoo Area Anti-Human Trafficking Coalition. Sarah, thank you for being a part of this. Um, listeners, go to uh, the website, kahtc.org uh, to connect with, with Sarah there. Um, Sarah, thank you so much for being a part of, of our show. Thank you very much, Dan, and Happy New Year. Thank you for listening to I'm Not In an Abusive Relationship. If these stories resonate with you and you need help, please visit our website, dasasmi.org. That's dasasmi.org. Or call our hotline at 800-828-2023. We are here to walk alongside you. Now, if you know someone who might benefit from our show, please share it. Social media, email, simply telling someone about it, all help us spread the word and help us to combat domestic and sexual violence. We also welcome financial and volunteer support. That information is on our website. Thank you to the staff, volunteers, and board of directors at Domestic and Sexual Abuse Services. This podcast is produced with the help of a committee of dedicated advocates. Thank you to WBET Radio in Sturgis, Michigan for the use of their studio. This has been a podcast about surviving domestic and sexual violence and a production of Domestic and Sexual Abuse Services of Michigan.